So we're back after a week off and welcome to Sports Weekly. I'm joined as ever by Chris. Say hi, Chris. Hello, Dan. And Josh. Say hi, Josh. Hello there, Dan. And welcome because this is Sports Weekly. So we're back together again, all as one happy team. Guys, you've been on holiday for the for the past week. I'm not jealous at all. Chris, how was your holiday? <laughs> it was uh, fantastic. Thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, I went to Malta um, to any of the listeners who uh, were there last week. Uh, and um, yeah, very sunny, nice bit of late autumn sun, nice and warm, 25 degrees. Lovely island, um, small but plenty to do. Um, and quite picturesque in, in parts as well. So, yeah, really. I, mean, I, saw, I saw you yesterday and you were looking pretty damned. <laughs> For me, that's um, anything other than paste white. Just so. pure, <laughs> brilliant white. <laughs> I was now magnolia rather than. <laughs> and what a great colour. That's what most of my house is coloured. So, uh, Josh, how was your holiday? You went to Valencia, right? I did, yes. I would say it's very similar to Chris. Lovely autumn sun, brilliant food, loads to do. I would like to still be there now rather than this cold, desolate place I call home. <laughs> Have you fixed the leak yet? Or? Uh, I thought I had, but a small amount came in. Not too much, but uh, that was my kind of botched me as a non-roofer fix. So a real roofer's coming this weekend. Just nice. to fill you in and all the kind of bits and bobs that you've missed while I've been away. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, fingers crossed the real roofer can sort it out because, I mean, I know that if it was me doing it, I, I'd have done the same as you and it would still be, if anything, leaking more, I'd say, <laughs> if it was me. So I don't know. Um, I gave you both the task of when you're on holiday to find out something to do with sports of your holiday destination. Now, Chris, you found out a bit about Malta. Tell tell the many, many listeners all about Malta and its famousness of sportness. That doesn't make sense, but you know, go for it. So, quite boringly, their sort of national sport is basically football, really. Which was what? And what is that sport? Could you well listen? <laughs> football. <laughs> and that was introduced there by the British um, when they were sort of occupiers of Malta for hundreds of couple of hundred years um and i think there's about 12 or 14 uh clubs on the island which is quite good for a reasonably small island really uh, i actually visited the national stadium uh, which was uh, quite pretty cool quite enjoyed that it is pretty rareable but uh yeah quite impressive in the same way um but other than football there's they're quite into the polo and well, i think the biggest insight i got was the game of bocce which is very similar Ooh. to kind of bulls or uh, French sort of petanque, that sort of sport. Uh, and there was actually a little stadium on the side of the, uh, just off the sea, sea wall, where we could watch part of a, part of a game being played. Um, uh, yeah, little little stands probably hold about 100 people, and they were just playing on a sort of Wednesday evening. So Was it a raucous atmosphere? Any flares? <laughs> there wasn't any flares, no. It's quite gentle. But, uh, yeah, I'd have taken. You just should have but, taken a player, Chris. I mean, the guys playing with were very taking it very seriously. So uh, yeah, it was good. To see, and it differed from balls in that it was like they were like small barrels or discs rather than um, 
like a ball or anything like that. So, yeah, it's, I think it was a sport which had a common ancestor and it sort of deviated in many ways across Europe and everyone plays it slightly differently. So, so yeah, that was uh, my multi-sporting experience. Did, uh, am I right in thinking you played some, some crazy golf? Uh, I played some crazy golf in the Popeye Village, which is basically yeah. a set for the 1980 film Popeye starring uh, a very young uh, Robin Williams. So yeah, quite a good, uh, quite a good course, quite a surreal setting, to be honest. I mean, probably the oddest place anyone's ever played crazy golf. (laughs) Certainly the oddest I've played, but well, maybe that could be a poll uh, for our listeners on comment on where's the craziest place they've played crazy golf. (laughs) Ever played crazy golf? Do they make you? Do they make you drink a can of spinach before you play? (laughs) I think you have to snort the spinach, John. (laughs) Uh, It was option, uh, but I didn't partake on this occasion. Oh, well, you know, you should. I mean, I bet you'd have. I didn't want to hit the ball too hard. That is true. Straight into the water. If it was a driving challenge, then I'd have done it. Oh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. Well, Popeye famously does get bicep sized muscles in his his forearm. So, I mean, that could have been you, Chris. You could have got muscles all over the place. (laughs) Wasn't to be. Josh, any, um, any sports that you managed to find out about in Valencia? Well,. And same as you, Chris, I uh, came up with football as their first sport, which Valencia not having a good time of it recently. Um, and they, they kind of had their glory days, sort of, sort of 2008, 2010. Like, or maybe even before that, but like when they had Imar and oh, players like that, they had a great team. But uh, these days, been a lot of debt. was kind of a bit un- unsettled. Um they play this game, uh, I did see a, an indoor court, it's called Pilota, and it's like a, a variant of handball, which is really popular in France. But they sort of cover their hand, there's like loads of different variations, just within Valencia. Sort of cover your hand with like plasters and like bits of rubber, but some like more serious versions, you're not allowed to cover your hand with anything. And it's a little bit like tennis on a long sort of indoor court. And you just whack this sort of squash-sized ball to each other. There's like a line for where the net is. And I, I can't really work out how you win a point other than if they can't hit it back. It seems to be able to bounce as many times as it needs to. Or you can either like scoop it off the floor. I think, from what I've seen, you sort of try and aim it over the other person's head. Uh, but to be honest, it, it didn't have much appeal over football. Uh, <laughs> which is It sounds probably... insane. <laughs> It looks like it's very painful on the hand. They <laughs> properly go at it, but uh, yeah, kind of yeah. You can understand so they, why they, got so above the, it. The two people who play each other go at it, and then they start <laughs> playing whatever sport it is that they're supposed to be playing. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's what I got for you, Dan. That's my report oh, back. Uh, I may not make it as a sort of top class journalist just yet. <laughs> to improve well. next time. I invite anyone watch it. Pilota, P-I-L-O-T-A. It's weird. I'm going to search that because it sounds weird and you've massively intrigued me. <laughs> and just a small bit of trivia on the bat on uh, the top of Valencia's kind of sigil, like of the city, but of the football team as well. Because uh, the James I, the kind of conqueror of Valencia from Arabic rule, uh, he a bat saved him from being assassinated. So they put bats everywhere. And interestingly... Uh, the studio that made Batman, DC Comics, tried to sue the city of Valencia because they, they thought this bat belonged to them. But uh, way preceded Batman, so it didn't really go anywhere with that. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, they probably should have thought about that before they started to do that. Yeah. The, the law claim. Hey, you know, they live and learn. It's fine. Um, well, thanks, guys, for the for the reports on the countries uh, or cities in some cases. Um, but whilst you were away sunning yourselves, I was holding down the fort, making a whole one tweet to send out to the to the listeners and viewers. And that was the poll. And the poll from last week was all about the greatest ever individual sports people. So are you ready for the results? So ready. I'm ready, Dan. In fourth place was other. So for once, our three choices were the most popular. Um, Only just. uh, With 12% of the votes. And some of the other um, suggestions were pretty good. Uh, Muhammad Ali, someone suggested. Um, fair enough, good shout uh, uh-huh. Phil Taylor, who was someone I was considering as well Because his dance performances over the years were fantastic um, Steve Redgrave, or say Steve Redgrave I should say uh, Another good shout But Usain Bolt came in third With 15% of the, vote, of the votes That leaves Tiger Woods and Roger Federer as the top two And in second place, way behind the leader, was Tiger Woods with 21% of the votes, which means that with a massive 53% of the votes was Roger Federer. I think that's wow, fair, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Josh, that was your suggestion. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite surprised, to be honest, um, because he's probably being challenged more than the other two. I think the two, so Woods and Bolt are... Kind of, I feel quite a bit out of head of their peers, but Federer is being challenged by Nadal, Djokovic. Thought there might be a bit of a question there, but well, happy to have it confirmed. I say that though, but Woods hasn't quite reached Nicholas's major record yet, has he? Not yet. That's true. I get. Whereas is Fed, Federer is the the holder of the most, isn't he, at the moment? So. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Just by so one. Maybe, maybe that's a factor what, in what people were were thinking, but. Uh, two well, two worthy winners there, but uh, you can definitely see why yeah. edge there. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I think um, I think he's always in the forefront of people's minds, Roger yeah. Federer. And I think it's the way he plays the game as well. With like, and he's got such lovely hair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's a photogenic man. He's just what a guy. Oh, but anyway, um, let let's stop dreaming about Roger Federer. Come on, guys, think about it. Um, and yeah, congratulations, Josh. I th- is that your third in a row? I think I've really turned it around since after Ross, a of bad since, weeks. since Barclaygate. You've um, <laughs> you've smashed it every week. I really vowed about. to put my Barclaygate behind <laughs> me after he started to play a little bit well. A, li- a little bit well, yeah. He has played better. Oh well, um, but yeah, that's the polls done. Uh, our poll for this week is all go- is going to be about after Granite Xhaka. And his crazy substitution and him cupping the Arsenal fans whilst they were booing him and kind of strolling off when they really wanted to win the game as Arsenal captain before then taking his shirt off and storming down the tunnel whilst uh, telling the Arsenal fans to F off um, on the way down the tunnel. It was just insane. So our poll for this week, and I want you guys to get thinking about your suggestions for the end of the podcast, is going to be the strangest or oddest things you've ever seen on a sports pitch. Um, I've already got mine in mind. I've had a few weeks to think about it 
because that's all I've been thinking about whilst you two have been away in the sun. And um, I'd love to know your thoughts at the end of the podcast. In this podcast this week, we're going to start off by talking about the incredible Leicester City and um, just their brilliant win over Southampton, but also them and how they're going to fare this season, uh, which Josh loves because he is a big Leicester City fan. Um, so next week, we might talk about Aston Villa. The week afterwards, probably Lincoln City. We'll make it fair. Um, <laughs> then... We're going to talk about Sixth the rugby. Never win a game again. Yeah. Well, Chris, they'll, they'll win. It's fine. It's fine. Um, then we're going to talk about the Rugby World Cup and the semi-finals. Two brilliant semi-finals for very different reasons. Um, before, uh, after that, we're then going to go on to talk about Tiger Woods um, after another great victory uh, this week. Let, we're going to talk just a bit about him in general, how great he is, about um, whether he's going to break Jack Nicholas's record. Um, and then we're going to go on to my quiz at the end of the podcast. And this week it's going to be very, very different, but I'll explain more about that later. However, it's time to get on with the podcast. <laughs> so our first topic this week, much to Josh's delight, is the incredible... Notice I use the word incredible, Josh. Leicester City. Oh, After their... Oh, well, you're welcome. I wouldn't usually use that word, but it's fine. I'll use it just for, just for this weekend. Um, they beat Southampton 9-0, equaling the 24-year-old record for the biggest ever Premier League win, which was set by Manchester United uh, when they beat Ipswich 9-0 in 1995 and is the biggest ever Premier League away victory. Josh, I'll come to you first. Just sum up your thoughts about the most incredible game. I, I'm speechless. No, I'm not speechless. It's um, it was incredible. Um, I love the. I saw someone tweet that uh, Leicester had outscored the All Blacks, which I particularly enjoyed. <laughs> um, it was. I couldn't really believe that five and a half time. Um, I didn't get to watch it live, unfortunately. Um, five and a half time. You're kind of looking at the live text. You're thinking, right? They're gonna they're gonna lay off. They're just gonna kind of keep keep ball at the back. The rest of the second half, they don't need to do anything. And you know what? I I um I saw that Brendan Rodgers had actually said at halftime, right, guys, treat this as a nil-nil. Just go at them again, and they did. And I, it's a staggering score. You just you really you don't expect to see the number nine ever in football, really. So it's yeah, couldn't be happier. But how much do you, I do, how much do you there's think that the... lingering when it's that bigger score? There's that lingering feeling of. How do you kind of keep inflicting that cruelty on the Southampton players? Um, but I suppose, you know, they're a Premier League team. They have to be able to accept that. They must learn. How, how much do you think they, um, the red card affected the score? Or do you think that, like many teams, get a red card in a game and don't capitulate like Southampton did? Do you think there's a, a, a bigger issue there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are some teams, a red card can even, they can really... I suppose conceding the goal and then getting a red card was a, the real hammer blow. Sometimes you can get a red card, it's still nil-nil, you're batting down the hatches, get 10 men behind the ball, nine men behind the ball. But since they conceded already, that was didn't help at all. But they just had no will. They didn't. They just dropped off, didn't press. They looked to have given up at 1-0 and 3-0 within 20 minutes. I'm struggling to think of a worse start ever in a football match. I mean, if you ever thought so 20 minutes gone one red card three down it's just where do you even go from there where do you kind of find that the reserves of energy to kind of go okay i've got to stop six more going in i mean the the only game i can remember where 
like off the top of my head, I'm sure there's loads of loads of games that have been like this, but I remember a, an Arsenal game against um, Newcastle away and Arsenal were 4-0 up inside the first inside the first half and you had um, Newcastle fans leaving after 35 minutes and not returning. Uh, obviously, famously in that game, Newcastle came back to draw 4-all with a, an incredible Czech Tiote uh, volley uh, right oh, towards the end of the game. Volley. But um, Southampton fans were leaving Mm. Well inside the first half, and and actually, to be honest, I, I can't blame them. I I wouldn't. I I always. I've never left early. I always stay to support the team. It's hard to support a team when they're so bad, when they're playing so poorly. And they just they they look like they're giving up. And what's it like when you paid your match fee, and the team you're watching have just they don't care anymore. They're giving up. You know they're just going to concede us for fun. It was. Yeah, it's embarrassing, really. I felt really sorry for Harsenhutl at the end, kind of shouldering all the blame. Some of it's got to go on the players. Has to. They, has he to can't. Go he can't make them like close the ball down like while they're on the pitch. He can't. He has no power to control that. Found that did really. You guys, did you guys see that all the Southampton players had donated their wages to charity from this week from that match? I, that's. I, I think mean, it was just. Good. Was it a, yeah. a day's wages or a week's? I can't remember. No, I don't know where to get. I'm not sure to be honest. It might have they given any back to the tra- uh, to the to the fans for their for their tickets? I wonder. Not at this stage. They just paid the to uh, the Southampton's uh, charity um, Fair which support, which they've already done. I wonder if some of the fans stayed purely to boo because that is quite maybe. Yes, <laughs> quite. <laughs> <laughs> I do do like a good boo. If it had been an Arsenal team being beaten nine 0 fans would have been coming in the ground to boo the players. Yeah. So. They would have hired a plane like within the match time and got it to fly over, saying yeah. like Emery out. Yeah, <laughs> nice big banner. <laughs> um, I mean, Chris, what what do you make of of Southampton's performance, and what do you think of the red card as well? Um, Southampton's performance was one, of, was one of the worst I've seen in the history of the league. Uh, it was pretty shameful, really. Not big. Um, <laughs> it was just yeah, just a lack of of anything really. Uh, but I think yeah, the and had stuffing knocked out of them pretty early on with the red card. Um, I think it was a red card. It was a Same, pretty, yeah. pretty nasty uh, studs up challenge onto the shin. Um, so I don't. I, 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 if I was a Southampton player or manager or fan, I wouldn't really have any complaints about that. Uh, but I did think. I don't know whether you guys noticed just in general this weekend that um, there was a lot more use of the the VAR assistant referee this. So it seems so like the first the, weekend where they were going and actively changing referees' decisions, which is great. But on some of them, yeah. I think they went too far and, yeah. and changed the decision when it didn't need to so be changed. Up until now, I think we've seen that they'll only change it in very certain circumstances and only then, quite reluctantly, it'll have to take a lot to do it. Whereas this weekend, and possibly from now going forward, it seems more like they're going to just apply the letter of the law wherever. Which is... Maybe better because at least then we'll perform into the same standard. But even then, you saw inconsistencies in it. So, uh, yeah, so has, really? I, just, I just felt there was a bit of a sea change in how it was being applied. Has uh, clear and obvious been dropped then? Yeah, I, 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 as much as I think that was a red card in real time, it it was you know you could miss it because mm. it was it went so quickly. But in slow mo, it looked a lot worse. So I, I'm not sure. I think it's debatable as to whether that's clear and obvious. To be honest. The one where um, in the, one of the other matches, I know we're digressing slightly off, but uh, the... It's what we do, Chris. 
<laughs> Brighton's penalty where the guy just got his foot trod on. That's yeah, yeah. very harsh. But on the other hand, he was prevented by being. Like, but it's it's like the the up. Arsenal penalty um, where everybody was fouling each other. Yeah, and, that... and how can you say say which way round it was? It was it's also like the Dan James penalty, I think it was. Yeah. Um, where I think it was Max Aaron's that where Dan James leans into Max Aaron's, Max yeah, Aaron slides but pulls out of it, and then. Dan James makes the contact and goes down. And then that was deemed to be a penalty, even though the ref had already decided it wasn't. Yeah. And that's where you kind of go, right, I'm glad you're changing decisions. Yeah, I but... think it's getting better, I would like to say. I think it is, yeah. this is a step in our direction. I don't know, just, it obviously still needs tweaking. But I think this is a better philosophy than we had before. Well, and yeah, do you, just do you, do you think it's, it's better that they're not consulting the screen? The refs are staying on the pitch and they're basically leaving it to... The panel above have, them. Do they have a screen? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there, there is a screen by the pitch, but it seems right. to be being neglected. I think yeah. if the, if the screen's there, I don't get why it's not being used. If they if they don't want to undermine the on-field referee, then let the referee go to the screen, and then he can undermine his own decisions. <laughs> if, that, if that's what it is. Because what's the point in having it there? if it's yeah. not then going to be used because they're spending enough time anyway going over yeah. and over it. All they need should... to do is say, look, we'll show you the angles, you go to the screen and yeah. you decide whether you've made the wrong decision or not. Yeah. I think and then it takes away the undermining of the referee. Yeah, I think initially they were looking to do that because they were worried about, just as you say, how long it would take. But if it's taking a while anyway, you may as well do it. Well, it's taking a while and it's not being explained to the fans. So I think mm-hmm. someone timed it. I think it was the, oh, I can't remember what game it is, but a goal was scored and um yeah so a goal was scored and there was a a minute of and 20 of 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 celebrating whatever and then the the time from after celebrating when they were checking var to the time when the decision made was another two two minutes and 30 seconds two minutes 20 seconds something like that so that time's being taken up anyway just let the referee go to the screen it's there to be used i don't think it's been used once this season so what the point of having a screen that says var on the side of the pitch is i've got no idea um but they're worried about undermining on-field referees so let the referee make their own decision if that's the case yeah that's right i I don't know regarding southampton i mean I don't know where they go from here. I th- part of me thinks it's just one of those weird freak results because every other match this season, they might not have been brilliant at every time, but they've never looked like being beaten heavily, really, in any match, I wouldn't have said. Like, no. they Liverpool 2-1, and that was that was a tight game. Um, I think their problem is... Manchester that... United at home, uh, they've performed all right, especially at home, but then just suddenly 9-0 out of nowhere. Very, very odd. Really odd. I think their problem is that they need a strong defence and they haven't really got one. I mean, it spoke volumes that they're 5-0 down at half-time and what he decides to do is change his centre-back. Um, he brings Vestergaard off and puts Danso on, um, which which spells for me the end of <laughs> end of Vestergaard's uh, Southampton career for the, for the well, at least for the, the short term. Um, but they've only got one goal scorer. They've got Danny Ings. And other than that, they've got... Shea Adams, who hasn't made a great start in a Southampton shirt, and they've got Shane Long, who I've never been a fan of because he's like he's a glorified Gabby Agbonlahor in my eyes. Um, <laughs> quite quite quick, a bit of strength, but in terms of being a, a good striker, a goal scoring striker, that's not within him. Um, so I think that Dan, if, if Danny Ings gets injured, then Southampton for me have got no chance of survival. Um, I, I really like Nathan Redmond. I think he's a great player, 
but he isn't going to score lots of goals and he, there's no one there for him to provide assists for or apart from Danny Ings maybe. Um, and then you've got Ward Prowse who chips in with the odd free kick here and there. So you need a really, really strong defence to then keep that tight so that someone like Danny Ings can nick a goal every every game or whatever. But their defence isn't that tight and it's not very good. And you've got Yoshida and Vestergaard in, at centre-backs who looked so bad against Leicester. Just letting players run past them, letting players occupy positions where they should have been taking up that space themselves um, and going to attack attack the balls. And they weren't. Vardy was just able to, and Iose Perez, was just able to get in between them several times without them noticing they were there. Yeah. And for Perez to score a hat-trick when he's kind of struggled in a little bit in his kind of start to his career at Leicester, for him to get a hat-trick is a pretty damning assessment of your kind of defensive performance absolutely now I mean Josh you mentioned Perez and I never thought he was a massive goal scorer for Newcastle Um, yet they relied on him to score goals him and Salomon Rondon Um, neither of them scored many but they did rely on them to score the goals to keep them up now he's moved to Leicester he's not played through the middle has he because obviously Vardy's that's mm. that's Vardy's position, and Vardy wouldn't be losing that position because of the amount of goals he scores. What, what do you make of Iosi Perez? Because he is a good footballer, I think, just not I necessarily so. a natural goal scorer. I think he looks technically very good. I quite like the idea of him as a a bit of a, a kind of forward-looking winger, like uh, the other side of the opposite wing to Barnes. He looked good, so he can he can cut inside and score a few goals. But his delivery looked looked good against Southampton, albeit against Southampton. Uh, I, I quite like the idea of Vardy, Perez, and Barnes as a front three. Is uh, is strong? It's just, it's. I was looking back to oh, the glory days, two thousand sixteen. <laughs> I don't know what happened that year. Uh, and, nah, I'm not going to mention it. Nah, nah. and just. Looking at some of the players and comparing them, I, with it's kind of been a rebuilding job since Mares and Kante left and Drinkwater, and it really feels like this season it's the closest we've been to to having that team. And in many positions, I feel like Evans um, as good as Morgan, if not an upgrade. Morgan did have an incredible season that year. Chilwell, yeah, I take Chilwell over Boots. I take Barnes over Schlup. I think. All Brighton's not in the team anymore when he was like a mainstay in 2016. I do think this is as strong a team um, as to 2016 now, albeit without Mares, of course, who was to just a level above the rest. But I think times um, for Leicester. I think indeed he's doing quite a good, really good, yeah, as well at the base of midfield. He's performing pretty well, and I've noticed in the like in the league table after this weekend bit of a gap opening up between the top four, obviously Man City, Liverpool, Leicester and Chelsea. And then there's a bit of a gap to about the next 16 teams, which seem to be <laughs> within about two points of each other. So it's it's looking good for, I know it's early days, but for Leicester to have a real good go at uh, qualifying for the Champions League. I mean, you met, you mentioned there, Chris, the the next sixteen teams and the gap between them. Mm. Are you then saying that Villa will finish fifth? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> to be honest, Dan, they've got as good a chance as any of those other teams in there. To be honest, like Villa, yeah. uh, certainly going forward, I think Villa are quite exciting and have enough firepower to to score against any team. Really, uh, just yeah, just still need to iron out the defence a bit because I think that's a bit bit weak. But it's probably coming on a bit. 
Right, so there you go, listeners. There you've got it. Chris says Villa are going to finish fifth, so that's what's going to happen. Uh, moving on. Um, Chris, currently, Leicester occupy third place for 20 points. Where do you think they will finish this year? Where do you think they could finish with the likes of um, T. Elements in the heart of midfield, Madison, um, a great provider, uh, Vardy smashing in goals left, right and centre? Where do you think they could finish? Uh, well, yeah, as I just said, I think top four is certainly on. I, th- I don't think they'll be in the top two. I think they're too strong. Them and Chelsea seem relatively evenly matched at this point. Um, Chelsea maybe have slightly more in terms of attacking-wise, but I think Leicester's defence is stronger. So I think they're quite evenly matched. And then there seems to be a notice- notable drop-off to Arsenal, who have appeared to be in a bit of turmoil again and can't defend. Um, Manchester United, very inconsistent. Um, and, and both those clubs ha- have European football to contend with as well. Whereas Leicester can just focus on their one game a week. Obviously, they're still in the uh, Carabao Cup, so they've got that to enjoy. But that won't sap too much energy out of them. Um, so, yeah, that one game a week really helps them. And then the other teams that were kind of looking to challenge, like Wolves and Everton. Well, Everton are nowhere. And Wolves are, again, in that middle, mid-table having an enjoyable Europa League campaign, but I think that's affecting their league form. Uh, so I think, yeah, it's poised for Leicester to genuinely have a win at that top four spot. I mean, coming coming up to, we're coming up to almost the Christmas period. And on the 21st of December, Leicester are playing against Manchester City. And then on the 26th of December, they're home against Liverpool. Um, how do you think the big teams will play it against Leicester, Chris? Do you think that they'll go... Because in their minds, they should be beating a team in in um, inverted commas a team like Leicester because they are a bigger side and 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 um, they've got ambitions both uh, Man City and Liverpool to win the league. But on the other hand, Leicester are so dangerous yeah. that you can't just you can't just go all out to attack and then leave yourselves open at the back because they will exploit Vardy's pace and Madison, T. Elements, uh, Chilwell, uh, Harvey Barnes at the minute, who's in great form, will create something. So how do you think they'll play it against Leicester when, when the big teams come to town? Um, well, for obviously the mistake everyone made in 2016 was just to attack Leicester and then they just slice them open on the counter all the time. And then teams sort of learned from that and were a bit more circumspect. They let Leicester have the ball and they couldn't really do much with it, especially under Puel, where it's a bit more negative. Nowadays, with, like you say, Tillemans and Madison and the fullbacks attacking, you can't really give them the ball anymore because they cannot. They do now have the players to hurt you with possession football. So it has become a lot harder over the last year or so, I'd say. So I think those sort of teams will... I still think... Leicester have benefited a lot from playing. They have had a couple of matches which have made them look amazing, but they were both. One was against the other night, and one was on against Newcastle when they also had a man sent off. So I think they're scoring a lot of their goals in games against when they're playing 10 men, which is maybe inflating their goals tally a bit. So I think you could maybe sit back a bit and try and counter them because Evans and Sionku have solid but I don't think they're quick and you could get round the back of the fullbacks which is going to be pushing forward a lot so I think with pace and using width would be my short answer to that 
And I think that's, you look at the likes of Liverpool, you look at the likes of Manchester City, that's how they tend to play anyway. Yeah, and you I think that's Salah getting in behind. Yeah. Well, if he... Well, and, and, and Firmino kind of sucking in uh, Evans and... Uh, yeah, Slink. definitely, yeah. By dropping deeper and then letting Mane get, and Salah get in the gap behind. Um, and final word to you, Josh, on, on uh, Leicester City. Is all is going to be all about Brendan Rodgers. What do you think he's done for Leicester? Um, and how much how much does he compare to Claude Puel, who is pretty much, from what I saw, especially the anti-Brendan Rodgers, um, very much uh, keep it tight, um, try and keep the ball not too exciting, where you've got Brendan Rodgers scoring nine against Southampton. What, how, what do you think Brendan Rodgers has done for the club and how, and how far do you think he can take you? I think he, like you say, he's got a much more attacking mindset. Puel was really risk-averse. And there were kind of a couple of results that were good. I think he beat City in that season. He, he managed managed Leicester. But they were kind of isolated results. They kind of kept him afloat a little bit longer. He was just... It wasn't enjoyable to watch as a fan, particularly. And I think the owners kind of knew that as well. Rodgers is just so... These teams are so much more exciting to watch. Um, with a lot of the same players, so which is a testament to his kind of attacking philosophy. But also, I think his man management skills are a lot better. So I think after the Burnley game, it uh, wasn't, wasn't a great performance. Um, and he kind of addressed the wingers in particular and said, you need to be better, you need to, there needs to be a better delivery into the box. And the response in this game has been astounding. And he's not afraid to kind of say, you know, we can do better. Um, he's not afraid to say to his players, you know, you can do better, you're good players. I think that his man management skills and getting the best out of um, a group of players which have kind of oscillated in ability from kind of the, some of them, the heights of winning the Prem to kind of having a really drab season under Puel. He's, he's motivated everyone and just made them an exciting club to follow at the moment. Really exciting. And after a, you know, a difficult end to his career at Liverpool, um, I'm pleasantly surprised to be saying all this. I wasn't um, kind of, I've had a few doubts when he came in, given his, his kind of last appearance in the Prem. But yeah, couldn't be happier. See, I, 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 I can see why, but I thought completely the opposite. I thought that Brendan Rodgers should be managing a top four club in, in England. Um, I'd have loved to have had Brendan Rodgers at, at Villa. And there was at one point he was rumoured to be there, uh, be coming to Villa. Um, either before we got Steve Bruce or when we sacked Steve Bruce. And I was like, I, I can't believe he was even rumoured to come to the championship to, to manage at Villa when, in my opinion, he should be managing in the top four. And I think it speaks volumes of the fact that he is now managing in the top floor, uh, the top four, but at a team, again, in inverted commas, like Leicester, um, because he's got them to that point himself. I mean, for you, Josh, you've got a, re- a really real chance of finishing in the top four, but you're a club who's also um, got enough about you to make a good run in the cup competitions, maybe even win one of the cup competitions. What would you prefer to happen this season? Champions League football qualification or a trophy? I think Champions League qualification. Ah, oh, it sounds awful, doesn't it? I'd love, a, you know, I'd love both. <laughs> but yeah. it's just the the kind of the status and the structure that gives you going forward, given the money involved, mm. it would make it more sustainable for a next season cut run or a next season top four. It just gives you that platform. 
it also takes you on to the next caliber of players that you can afford to bring in. Precisely, absolutely, and enables you to keep your Tielemans, your your Barneses, and your um, Madisons when kind of Man City and Liverpool come and knock it. Yeah, and and I suppose it would then look like an absolute masterstroke to to keep back the money you got from Maguire. Um, and then if you then got into the Champions League to then spend it on on a new replacement because no offense to to Evans or Soyunku, they they've played really well this season, but for mm. me they're not they're not that next caliber of player. They're not a Van Dyke, they're not a yeah, not quite Tyra Mings, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's what I was searching for. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree, Josh. Yeah. Evans is alongside a 30 now, isn't it as well? So I imagine that's, he'll, that's it. Yeah. The legs will stop to go eventually. He's brilliant at the moment, but that will be a drop off in the next Yeah, who's back in? That's what I say. And, yeah. and there was a there was a reason why he was linked with the likes of Arsenal Man City uh when he was leaving West Brom. Um yeah. but yeah, like you say, Chris, he is he is getting to that age where he's He's going to decline at some point, and he was never the quickest anyway, so he can't rely on that to to kind of to help him out. Um, but I think I, I I think to be honest, Josh, whilst whilst every fan would love to get a trophy, I think that as you mentioned, the the kind of prestige of getting into the Champions League would be great for Leicester City, great for Brendan Rodgers, and I, to be honest, I think they can absolutely do it this year. So good luck, Leicester. Our next topic is all about the exciting events of the Rugby World Cup because semi-finals are over and it's almost time for the final. But Josh, I'm going to come to you first and we're going to talk a little bit about England, New Zealand, because what a performance by England, uh, beating New, uh, New Zealand 19-7. Um, New Zealand were scoreless for ages until a massive England error um, gave them a try. But other than that, England were completely dominant. Um, they got into a lead after the second minute and uh, sorry before the second minute and um were 10 nil up by half time and just looked brilliant what what did you make of their performance josh i think it's the best performance i've ever seen from england in rugby it was unbelievable um the and the most unbelievable thing about it was that probably should have been more there were kind of two disallowed tries one of which was questionable um gifted um, New Zealand a try. They could have, New Zealand could quite conceivably have been scoreless the whole game. Mm. Such was England's dominance. And it was just a complete performance for 80 minutes from every aspect of the team and left New Zealand kind of tournament favourites, I would say. Uh, the kind of, the team to beat in the World Cup left them completely clueless. No answer to England all over the pitch. And at the end, they just looked, they were kind of wandering around dazed. They had no idea how to get through England's defence and really incredibly impressive. I mean, you mentioned about the New Zealand dominance. They hadn't lost a World Cup game in 12 years, mm, that is, which, which is just incredible if you think about it and, and makes the, the, the beating by England even more incredible. Mm, 12 years, goodness me, I can't believe that. But it, it was almost like this was... The stars almost aligned for England in some ways. So they had that the game against France that was cancelled. So they had that nice two-week break uh, to prepare for Australia and then a, a further match. It feels like Would they've you... had time to really scope out the All Blacks. Yeah, and which is interesting because lots of people thought that that two-week break would kind of hamper England. But it, it, it seems to have given them 
an, an, another wind and kind of reinvigorated them for the for the latter stages. Mm. I think it allowed Eddie Jones is kind of renowned as like a a really serious like his training is unrivaled in its intensity and he has kind of scopes out and plans for each individual game according to the opponents incredibly closely and this was one one of his masterminded jobs but it was you know you can have the best laid plans in the world but to you know to carry it out against the all blacks in a semi-final with such a plomb, with such uh, with no errors really, apart from that try that New Zealand scored, over eighty minutes was just yeah staggering, really staggering. It was it was an unbelievable game. Now now Chris, um, hearts in mouths time when when Jamie George overthrew his line out and um, yeah. and New Zealand went to, to to then score their only points of the game really. Um, how how are you feeling at that point? And and then after that, how how do you think England will fare? In, in the final, given that towards the end of the game, both t- teams, to be honest, New Zealand and England, looked absolutely out on their feet. Mm. Um, well, at that time, your first question, yeah, it looked like when we handed uh, New Zealand that try, it looked like there was a slight risk of all that good work being undone because the score, that made the score, was it? It was 13-7, I think. 13-7, yeah, so they were within another try of, of nicking it actually at that point so it suddenly looked nervous but one thing I noticed all through the game actually was how well England their game management was superb and they I know it's good to score at any time but they sort of scored at the right sort of times like obviously getting that very early try put pressure on New Zealand immediately for the rest of the match really and then after uh, they conceded that try to the All Blacks they then scored a penalty fairly soon after which put them again out of uh, reach of one try nicking it for New Zealand so I think that was really important that, that winning that penalty quite, quite soon after and um, I thought England's um, yeah as Josh has mentioned complete performance the way that the defence got out rushed like rush defence got straight out to New Zealand whenever they received the ball and just didn't allow them to gain any yards at all was fantastic because New Zealand are obviously very fluid they like the ball in hand they couldn't make any ground with that, so they were forced into kicking, and that's not really their natural game. Uh, so that really helped get them out of the comfort zone and led into England's hands, really. Going into the final, um, well, I'm sure we'll talk about the other semi-final in a second, but well, South Africa was far more attritional, far more kicking mm. game. Um, yeah. very Almost like you're watching two different sports, in a way, between those two semi-finals. <laughs> There's such difference between them. Um, so it'll be, a, again, a contrast in, probably more of a contrast in styles, the final. Um, England, by putting South Africa into kicking, might not disrupt them as much because South Africa showed they were quite happy kicking the ball. Their um, the scrum half, superb, with the uh, long hair, very distinctive guy. Fantastic kick the ball in that match. So they might not disrupt them as much, but I think England's fluid attacking performance seems more fluid than South Africa have been at any point in this tournament. And of course, South Africa could already be eaten in this tournament. So I think England are the slight favourites, but uh, I don't think it'll be an easy game by any means. It'll be another tie on, I think. Yeah, and and as Chris said, Josh, we we will talk about the second semi final very shortly. But before we do, I just wanted to ask you about the the hacker um, before the game. England set out in a in a V formation, kind of, um, which kind of broke tradition from club from teams who tend to stand there, um, arms around each other, kind of 
in a line, but almost advancing towards uh, the New Zealand players whilst they're doing the hacker. Now, obviously, um, referees have decided there needs to be a certain distance between the two teams and that the other team must stay in their halfway line, uh, over there in their half, sorry. Um, what do you make of the V formation that England decided to adopt? And do you think that kind of the, the confident looking and even um, smiling in, in, in some of the England players' cases in the faces of the, the New Zealand players whilst they were doing the hacker, do you think that kind of gave them a psychological edge? Or do you think um, England were just well-drilled from the start and just knew exactly what they were doing and obviously prepared really well? I think it certainly showed that they were up for it, that they deliberately kind of set out that tactic to potentially try and unnerve uh, the All Blacks and yeah, showed they were really up for it and confident. But I think there have been occasions in the past where kind of teams have gone right up to their noses. I think France did it in 2007. They did, yeah. And uh, which which did work and they, they knocked them out. But there have been kind of other occasions when it hasn't really worked. And it. I suppose it, it might well fire you up, but equally it's got the possibility of just firing up the All Blacks more, which you potentially don't want to do. Don't, don't anger the beast. But <laughs> it, I guess... From an English point of view, it just showed the intent. They weren't going to let them have a minute, a minute's piece. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I was, I don't know if it was like an, a directive from Eddie Jones himself or they just, the players decided to do it. But, uh, yeah, that England team, I think they would have won regardless of whether they'd kind of advanced or not. It's, I mean, it certainly looks like that. They just look so well drilled. They look like they knew exactly what they came out to do and they executed it which which is always the hard part i think in in team sports you can you can prepare as much as you as you like you can prepare for ages you can kind of be drilled in all your routines but you need to actually then go and do it and they absolutely did and what a performance it was but we move on to the second semi-final and chris you watched it wales versus south africa such a different game finished um 16 19 to south africa in the end but the teams were neck and neck the whole way through and it was so tight and so close um that you couldn't really pick a winner until the final whistle had gone what did you make of the game chris and how do you think the the welsh will be feeling after such a close game that could have seen either side through to the final yeah i think you summed that up pretty well down um yeah you couldn't really pick a winner at any point throughout the match. Um, they seem to be scoring and completely matching each other. It would either be mm. three-point scores, for, certainly through the first half, and then then when one finally South Africa did break through for a try, Wales immediately hit back with a try of their own. So, yeah, I thought we were heading for extra time, to be honest. Um, yeah, same. I was almost surprised it finished in the 80 minutes. Um, but, yeah, like I mentioned earlier, very, very different style of rugby. A lot of hard hits, um, lot of launching the ball in the air by the boots, uh, kicking for touch territory. D- very different, but but it was kind of, I think it kind of suited Wales a bit, making it a bit more of a scrappy game. And going into the second half, they seemed to be the team more likely to win it, especially when they made that incredibly gutsy call when they had a penalty in front of the posts, mm. but instead decided to take a scrum and then immediately scored from it out in the wing and converted it. From the time and what, what a conversion as well at that, at that point in the game. Yeah, to level it up. So that was a fantastic bit of courage uh, from the captain to make that decision. Unfortunately, it didn't pay off for them. I think Wales will be gutted because I think it was a match they know they could have won. Kind of suited them how it went. and They just couldn't quite get over the line in the last 10 minutes. I think ultimately, perhaps, all those injuries 
finally caught up with them because before the game, Williams was ruled out, one of their key players, so he couldn't even take to the field to start. Then after about 25 minutes, uh, one of the key men in the in the pack went down with what looked like a dislocated shoulder or a fractured wrist. He certainly took a large hit to the uh, left-hand side um, and he was immediately out. And then just before half-time, George North, their key back, hamstring immediately went. I could see it straight away because mine went mm. last season exactly how I hobbled. <laughs> and, you, and then, it, amazingly, he still made the tackle, <laughs> which is on what? one leg, which is yes. and showed how committed he was. But he was <laughs> He actually tried to run it off, which was remarkable. Uh, which I found is impossible. It is impossible. <laughs> yeah, it is impossible. I, I maybe, maybe... I'd, I'd have been on the floor crying by that point anyway. So <laughs> For a second, I thought, oh, maybe it's just cramped then if he's trying to run it off. No, just, um, I think it was just the adrenaline of the occasion, really, and he didn't want to come off, but he pretty soon realised. Which is understandable. Yeah, yeah, completely. He pretty soon realised that you, you can't run those off, so he had to come off. And so I think ultimately all of that disruption possibly cost Wales in the end, which is a shame really, because that's kind of out of their hands, all those sort of things. So, um, yeah, but a uh, very entertaining match and um, credit to South Africa really for um, seeing it through really, because that was a really big test of their character. Uh, they've had several in this tournament actually, so beating the hosts is no mean feat uh, in the last round. So, yeah, I think they're a well-hardened side, South Africa, and they might well be able to cope with what England are going to come up with against them so yeah i'm looking forward to the final um, um me too and the final should be brilliant um josh i want to take you to uh Andre pollard who in the 76th minute um scored the penalty to to take south africa to a 19 uh, 16 lead and then victory in the end what how must um what kind of nerves must you have to be able to convert a, a 76th minute penalty um and kind of not be floored by that situation not not miss it not drag it wide you must have nerves of steel surely so much so yeah i it wasn't a gimme by any means it wasn't kind of right in front of the post there's a bit no. of an angle to it um i can't even imagine kind of the world world cup final on your shoulders alone no one else is going to come and help you just you um, I suppose, you know, I, you can't really prepare for that pressure, but uh, it came through. Well done to him. I do think, I, I kind of think Wales, although they were unlucky and it was a close game, I guess they, you have a short memory when you, when you get through to the semi-finals, but they were incredibly fortunate against France. I mean, nine times out of 10, they lose that game. I think France yeah. missed a couple of kicks. Wales win by one point. They, the French were a whole half without one of their players um, sent off. I think semi-finals is spot on for them, to be quite honest. And um, so, yeah, I, can't, I, I think it's a fair, fair result. Yeah, I have to agree, and I think well done to both sides. But I think the 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 team that looked most likely to go through and throughout the whole tournament probably did go through in the end. Um, I'm going to ask you both for very quickly for your. We've predicted the whole way through. Uh, this World Cup, the winner, and we're all going to have to have to change our prediction now because the winning team we predicted the whole time is now out. So England versus South Africa is the probably unlikely final um, from what we all considered it, it was going to be uh, to begin with. Um, Chris, you've kind of already mentioned it, but who do you think and why? Who do you think is going to win? Uh, I'd have to 
yeah, I'd have to go with England, partly because I want them to. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's a big reason. Yeah, I just think they've got a bit more try scoring firepower. Uh, and if they defend with the tenacity that they did against New Zealand, if you can almost hold New Zealand to nail, then you can do it against anyone. And I think that that tactic may well make the difference. And Josh, who do you think is going to win? I'm going for England as well. I think that they're more their team is more technically is technically better than South Africa's on paper. I think provided the same team turns out that played New Zealand, I think they've got like you say, Chris, a better ability to score tries. If they can defend like they did, um, the kind of the raw power of South Africa and their kind of strength in the scrum, I don't think will be enough to take them to victory. So England all the way. And whilst I'd love to be impartial, and we usually are quite good at being impartial, I've got a few words. Just come on, England. So our final topic, before we go on to our brilliant sports quiz, and I will say it's brilliant because I've made it, um, is all about Tiger Woods and how great it is to see Tiger Woods back among the titles because he's again won his uh, 82nd tournament with uh, victory at the Zozo Championship. Zozo? Zozo? I can't, I don't know. Um, but he... I mean, what a what a brilliant, brilliant story for someone who's had so many troubles with injuries, so many personal troubles to be back, but almost looking like he's back to his best. I mean, how brilliant is it, Chris, to see Tiger Woods winning trophies? And I think it's a lot of something that a lot of people probably thought they would begin to think we'd never see again, really. It's fairy tale. Surely most people, because he, yeah. he, looked, he was in such a, um, a like a dangerous position of, of never even playing golf again. Yeah, and uh, yeah, physically and mentally, because obviously he's had a number of surgeries on his back on one hand, but also all of the uh, strife that he got into with being arrested and all of the, the married breaking down infidelity, all that side of it as well takes its mm. top. Um, he's had quite an <laughs> interesting few years, really. <laughs> and so, um, but it's fantastic for golf. Um, he's been the most marketable player ever uh he's inspired probably half of the pga tour to be playing who are currently playing sure yeah um, surely I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd even go as far as saying most of them surely <laughs> yeah quite possibly now yeah you can't tell me they didn't all play tiger woods golf I well mean, yeah the games played tiger woods golf. playstation games they were brilliant i thought they were they, they were, were great yeah and probably i never understood how you could put so much spin after the ball was already in the air that was the only part of the games like you could tap a button like repeatedly tap it and it would spin more in the air yeah i never got that part because that is uh yeah and that if you try that is not in the rules of that uh... <laughs> that's not allowed i don't think but, i mean i could be wrong yeah but it's um yeah quite a quite a turnaround he's had and um seems to be building on his success in the masters last year and is now talking about targeting the olympics in uh 2020 SE, so which would be fantastic and and based on how he's playing over the past year or two maybe just year 
it doesn't look like he needs to stop or think about stopping anytime mm-hmm. soon because he looks like he's getting back to even a similar ability to where he used to be. I don't think he'll ever get back to his best because his best was just phenomenal, unbeatable most of the time. Yeah. But I feel like he he is getting back to a really competitive kind of level, uh, which is great for golf. Yeah, he's quietly... I didn't realise this till I was looking at the uh, research for the podcast, but he's quietly got himself up into sixth, sixth in the world now. Yeah, so, yeah, he had... Cause I obviously was aware of the the amazing win at the Masters earlier in the year, but I hadn't really mm. heard since then. But he's obviously been putting some good rounds together to continue that rise up the rankings. So to be number six shows, well, yeah, means what it says on the tin, really, doesn't it? And he's certainly one of the best players in the world once again. And is, if he can stay fit, I'm sure he'll be competing for all the major honours and other tour events for the next few years to come. Yeah, I mean, he's he's 43 years old. He uh, matched um, Sam Snade's record, which was set in 1965, of uh, 82 tournament wins. I mean, Snade last got his uh, got his last tournament win when he was 52. So Tiger Woods has already got nine years on that. Um, <laughs> and it's actually his first event since having his fifth knee operation only nine weeks ago. Um, Josh, what what do you make of the of the kind of the mental stability that Tiger Woods must now have to be able to get back to almost his best. Cause he was playing against um, a lot of good players, the likes of Rory McIlroy um, the likes of Ian Poulter, the likes of Paul Casey. Um, I mean, this was a, a good event for him to play at and ended up winning just nine weeks after major surgery. It's unbelievable, but I suppose you attribute it to how much he has won um, more than anyone else currently playing golf by a long way. And I suppose that inner belief that I've done it all before, you know, I've I've been three shots ahead and not dropped them, so I'm going to do exactly the same again. It must just be that kind of, even when you drop a couple of shots, you get a couple of bogeys, you, you've just got that inner belief that you know it's going to be okay, that you just keep playing your golf, you don't panic, you don't try and do anything differently. You just trust that it's gonna that it's gonna work at some point. And that kind of inner kind of belief in your game is probably, whilst maybe his technical game isn't quite where it was in his younger years before his injuries, it, that kind of mental strength I think is gonna will guide him to more titles, potentially more majors. And I guess my question is, can he can he beat Jack Nicklaus's record? Is it eighteen majors he's got? Uh, yeah, eighteen. And he's three short at the minute. Hmm. I'd, but then won his first major for, for 11 years when he won the Masters. So, I mean, hopefully it's not another 11 years till he wins his next one. But it kind of shows how much he's risen in the game again or re-risen in the game to be able to win win one after so long of not being able to win one. I mean, you mentioned, Josh, his, his, mental, um, his mental state of... He's been there before. He's won it before. So he knows how to act in those certain situations. Do you think, Josh, that that's why the likes of Tiger Woods, Roger Federer, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Phil Taylor, when he was playing, do you think that's why they win so many tournaments and so so often? Because they've got that kind of uh, mental strength to know what to do in the situation when others may falter um, due to nerves, due to um, just not having been in that situation before. Mm. And yeah, absolutely. I think the the kind of muscle memory of 
doing exactly what you did last time, the belief. I also think that the kind of opponents have got have got much more scar tissue. They've got much more. Um, I'm remembering that time when I lost this, or remembering that time when I dropped that many shots. And that scar tissue, kind of in contrast to that confidence, can be so damaging um, that you kind of think in this kind of tennis world, you've got players who've been trying to challenge Federer, Djokovic, Nadal. They've lost against them that many times that they just, the, but you can see as soon as they walk on the court that they're already kind of, they don't believe they can do it. They might get a few games, they might even get a set, but they don't actually believe they're going to win. So it's almost. Tiger's kind of got the belief, but in in the kind of opposite sense, his opponents just don't quite have it, in the, certainly not in the same reserves that he has. Yeah, and, and it, it kind of it shows just how good these sports people are when they win continuously um, and shows that even when they get older, that it is it must be about mental toughness. That must be the, the number one thing that separates kind of serial winners from from those who don't quite make the heights even if they've got a certain level of ability yeah absolutely um chris josh mentioned it and he's talked about jack nicholas record of 18 major titles as as already spoken about tiger's three short do you think he'll he'll even match hopefully surpass or do you think that jack nicholas's record is safe uh well i wouldn't say it's safe but I think Tiger losing about 10 years out of the prime of his career to a mixture of reasons we touched upon might just leave him a little bit too much of a mountain to climb. Uh, I think there's a lot of good... I think in those 10 years as well, part of the aura around Tiger Woods kind of dropped. Because I think in the 2000s, when he got... If he was at the business end of a major tournament, I think psychologically it kind of damaged any of his competitors because it just gets the fear in. <laughs> You've got such a good player. So close well, you score. always knew that if Tiger Woods got himself into a position, it got yeah. himself close enough to the lead that on the last round, he would absolutely attack that. Mm. Um, yeah. similar, more... similar, weirdly, to how Kelly Holmes used to hang behind her opponents when she was when she was running. And then as it came to the last kind of... Um, steps of the race she used to then just fly past them to to win yeah yeah that's right a bit like a shark waiting for its moment (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah. exactly yeah and and uh, yeah so in those 10 years I think he lost a bit of that and so players a lot of players won majors and um in that time and gave themselves the confidence to do so again um and obviously those new players coming through all the time as well now um you probably won't have a shot at beating Tag Woods's yeah, Some I mean, tough. you do make a great point. Tiger missed so much of his yeah. what you consider to be a peak golfer's peak age. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think he'd struggle to do it now. It's my personal opinion, but I wouldn't rule it out. No. Do you do you think he will surpass his current record of, or surpass his and uh, Snee's record of eighty-two PGA Tour wins? Do you think he'll be the outright winner or record holder in that regard? Yeah, I think he. Will. Yeah, I think so. Because, um, like you, you said, he's got nine years before he's even as old as Snead is, and then we've seen players in their fifties and even into their sixties, I think, winning PGA Tour events on occasion, even if it's some of the 
more minor ones, but they all obviously count. So I think, yeah, I think he'll do that. I think he could get up to 90, probably. I mean that would be amazing, and I, I I don't I don't think you're wrong either. I think I think that that's exact a massively achievable um, objective for him, and I, and I can see him doing it. Final word to you, Josh. How how good is it for the for the game of golf that that Tiger is kind of back to somewhere near his his best, or back to his best for his ability now, um, before he got all the injuries, before whatever happened happened. Um, how good is it to see Tiger Woods back winning trophies, competing at the top because he's someone who made golf cool. He made people enjoy golf. He made, he, he brought in hundreds of thousands of people to the sport to watch it himself. And as Chris said, lots of the players on the tour now must have, um, he must've been a role model and an aspiration to so many of them. Um, and he kind of put golf on the map for the, for the, for the next generation. Absolutely, it's a game changer for golf um, for, to have him back, even like near the top of his game. You look at kind of the top three. You've got Brooks Kupka, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson. McIlroy probably the most, uh, the, perhaps the best known. Maybe that's just in Europe, but none of them have even got kind of half the star appeal that Tiger has, and that longevity over such a long period of time. I mean, I don't I know about he... you, but when whenever I look for for golf results. I look for Tiger Woods. He's the first one I look yeah, for, regardless absolutely. of the fact there's a British player playing. I look for Tiger Woods first. Yeah, spot on. I mean, I think he is to golf what Roger Federer is to tennis. If you ask the layperson in the street to name a golfer, the name Tiger Woods. If yeah. you are, in, if someone's watching a game of golf and they've never watched it before, it's probably because Tiger Woods is playing. If they've never watched tennis before, they might watch it because Roger Federer is playing. He just he elevates the sport to above kind of your diehard and your your regular fans to people who are kind of very casual and might just turn it on. They always know who your Tiger Woods is and your Roger Federer's are. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's so good to see Tiger Woods back. And long may it continue. I really hope that he can at least match Jack Nicholas's record um, in the major tally. And congratulations, Tiger, for for A, being back, but B, achieving and equaling the record of 82 PGA Tour wins. Now we've just got time for our sports quiz. And as I've already said to Josh and Chris, it is a little bit different this week. So I think, I'm in fact, boys, I'm going to go through the scores at the minute. The scores are at the minute. I'm on 11 and a half out of 20. Josh, you're on 10 out of 20. And Chris, you're on seven and a half out of 20. Now we've got until the end of the football season. So there's so much time for all of this to change. And it will change over so many times. But today I thought I'd go a bit different. Um... It could, it could go one of two ways. You could get them really easily because I think I've put some really big clues in there. <laughs> or you could just not get any of them. And I apologize if it's the latter, but I didn't know how hard to make it. I just thought it might be quite fun. So this is called the Who Am I quiz. I'm going to give you a few clues and then I'm going to ask the question, Who Am I? Okay, so for example, it could be I was born in Switzerland. I play tennis. My name rhymes with Schmodger Schmederer. <laughs> who, who am I? And then obviously you'd write down Rafael Nadal. So um, <laughs> that's, the, that's the idea. Okay. There's cool. five questions. Some of the questions have five clues. Some of the questions have four clues. I'm expecting you to get... 
Uh, well, yeah, I'm, you're definitely going to get two. Okay. I think. Okay. okay. But I'm expecting both of you to get three or four. So we'll okay. see how it goes. I'm liking the way the quiz has returned to normal levels of difficulty. That's yeah, funny. I thought I made the last one too hard where you both could have easily got zero. <laughs> uh, so I thought I'd, I'd make this one one where you could get four to kind of even it out a little bit. And I think if we if we aim for everyone to get at least three for each quiz, then I think that's a good level of difficulty. Um, so, number one, are you ready? Ready. I'm going to read the clues through twice and then go on to the next question, okay? Cool. So if you write it down as the first one, that's fine, but I'm still going to read it a second time. So, number one, I play in a team sport. My professional career started in 2010. I have scored 109 goals for my current club. I have represented my country 26 times. I have my own academy. Who am I? Okay, so I play in a team sport. My professional career started in 2010. I have scored 109 goals for my current club. I have represented my country 26 times. I have my own academy. Who am I? So remember that all of these questions are about somebody from sport this week. They could be really well known. They could be quite obscure. It's up to you to decide who you think it is. So that's number one. Are you ready for number two? Ready. Uh, sorry, yeah. So number two. I turned professional in 1996. I am 43 years old. I have 109 professional wins. I have been world number one in my field. Who am I? I turned professional in 1996. I am 43 years old. I have 109 professional wins. I have been world number one in my field. Who am I? Um, ready for number three? Yeah. Yeah. Number three. I was born in Stevenage. My middle names are Carl Davidson. My number is 44. I entered my current field in 2007. Who am I? That one's potentially one of the more difficult ones. I was born in Stevenage. My middle names are Carl Davidson. My number is 44. I entered my current field in 2007. Who am I? Right, ready for number three. Ready for number three. Four. Four. Isn't four. It? four even, yeah, four. Well, I was just checking you were paying attention. I knew it was four, really. It was just, you know. I was born in 1960. Six zero. That was not nineteen sixteen. He wasn't anything to do with sport this week. Um, anyone born in nineteen sixteen? Um, so yeah, number four. I was born in nineteen sixty. I was born in Ta uh, Tasmania. I used to play my sport, but I'm much more famous for coaching. I have coached three different countries. Who am I? So number four again. I was born in nineteen sixty. I was born in Tasmania. I used to play my sport. I used to play my sport, but I'm much more famous for coaching. 
I have coached three different countries. Who am I? And number five. Yeah. I was born in Spain. I played my first senior game in 2011. I rejected interest from Barcelona and Real Madrid to come to the Premier League from the Spanish Segunda Division. I was relegated in 2016 to the Championship, but now I'm back in the Premier League. Who am I? So I was born in Spain. I played my first senior game in 2011. I rejected interest from Barcelona and Real Madrid uh, to come to the Premier League from the Spanish Segunda Division. I was relegated in 2016 to the Championship, but now I'm back in the Premier League. Who am I? And when you've got an answer for all, let me know, and then we'll go through the answers. I'm done. Um, I'm not done, but I'll Do you need be any of those clues again, Chris? No, no, I've got... It's just the last one I'm still thinking about. So. Oh, yeah, do you want the last, last one again or not? Yeah, go on then. Right, so I was born in Spain. I played my first senior game in 2011. I rejected interest from Barcelona and Real Madrid to come to the Premier League from the Spanish Segunda Division. I was relegated in 2016 to the Championship, but now I'm back in the Premier League. Who am I? Okay, cool. So how do you feel about those? I like the change-up. I like the who am I. I feel like I'm on a question sport. <laughs> do you feel like you're confident with any of the answers? Yeah, yeah, a couple. I okay, think that's got, good. Definitely. That's all I wanted. A bit of confidence with some of them and then a bit of unsurety with others. So, number one, the clues were, I play, in, I play in a team sport. My professional career started in 2010. I have scored 109 goals for my current club. I have represented my country 26 times. I have my own academy. Who am I, Chris? Uh, I went with Jamie Vardy. And Josh? On Harry Kane. It was Jamie Vardy. He, he has his V9 Academy, I think it's called. And wow. he was playing non-league. Or was still technically playing non-league before 2010 or before 2012. But he was playing, I think, for Halifax. And they were a professional club. Yeah. And I did write 100... down Harry Kane initially first, uh, Josh, as well. But then uh... I just... It was the... Um... Just thought he'd done more. I was thinking, what's big news this week? And it's probably Vardy over Kane's yeah. goal. Yeah, that's, it, that's yeah, all you're right. Me. I didn't uh, Vardy scored 109 goals for Leicester City. That's, that's incredible. Mad. Um, anyway, number two. One point to Chris. I turned professional in 1996. I am 43 years old. I have 109 professional wins. I have been world number one in my field. Who am I, Chris? Tiger Woods. Josh. I've also gone Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods is the correct answer. I thought the 109 professional wins might yeah. kind of sway. Throw us off a bit. Yeah. But it is because some of them weren't in the PGA Tour. Yeah, without some of them Europe, the European Tour. tour and, Asian Tour. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, point to both of you. Well done. Right, number three. I thought number three was quite hard, but if you got the little clue in the middle, which I thought I, at least I one of you might. 
I got it from the Stevenage because the oh, okay, okay, right. I got it from the Stevenage, yeah. So I was born in Stevenage. <laughs> all my middle club. names are Carl Davidson. My number is 44. I entered my current field in 2007. Who am I, Chris? Lewis Hamilton. Josh? Lewis Hamilton. Lewis Hamilton is correct. See, yeah, I wasn't sure whether to put Stevenage or whether to put the actual town he was born in, but I thought <laughs> that might be a bit even harder. Um, I thought you you might get it, Chris, from number 44. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah. No, anyway, good. next one. I was born in 1960. I was born in Tasmania. I used to play my sport, but I'm much more famous for coaching. I have coached three different countries. Who am I, Chris? Is it Eddie Jones? Josh? I've also got an Eddie Jones. I promise I'm not cheating. <laughs> Eddie Jones is the correct answer. Yeah. Coached Japan, Australia, and England. Um, I think he got Australia to the 2015 World Cup final, if I'm right. And Very last one. Coach, I'd say. Very decent, yeah. But coached a lot of a lot of clubs as well. Um, yeah, coached all around the place. But I could, I could only find if, that he played played rugby for two seasons in the in the 80s. Um, and number five. Mourinho with football. Like, exactly. Yeah. Played. Exactly what I was thinking. But hey, mate, it's not always the best footballers that make the best managers, is that, I suppose? No, just look at Tony Adams. Or Neil Walcott. Uh, <laughs> Walcott? <laughs> <laughs> Why was I thinking of uh, Theo Walcott? Neil <laughs> Warnock, I should say. Yeah. Ah, anywho, um, we'll skip past that major mistake. And number five, <laughs> I was born in Spain. I played my first senior game in 2011. I rejected interest from Barcelona and Real Madrid to come to the Premier League from the Spanish Segunda Division. I was relegated in 2016 to the Championship, but now I'm back in the Premier League. Who am I? Chris? <laughs> I, I had absolutely no idea. So I just ended up trying to think who got relegated in 2016. Went with Villa. And so I ended up <laughs> just going with Carlos Cuella. <laughs> yeah, hey, uh, six foot three with curly hair and fucked up teeth, but we don't care. And it's Carlos Quay. No, it wasn't Carlos Quay. Uh, Josh, I've gone for Iose Perez. Josh is correct. Oh. Iose Perez um, got relegated to Newcastle back in 2016, but That's decided it. to stay with them and then uh, helped to get them back up straight away. I mean, you would stay with them if Rafa's the manager, wouldn't you? Um, yeah, sounds a good thing, though. Yeah. Ex yeah, exactly. But yeah, I think he played for Tenerife in the Spanish Segunda Division and uh, had interest from all over the world but chose to go to Newcastle. It's just like Tenerife in terms of class. That's what I've heard. Yeah. So you get, you've always, in Tenerife, you've got people shirtless. In, in Newcastle, you've got really big guys shirtless. So <laughs> home from home. So many similarities. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I make that four apiece. Yeah, I think so. Josh, Josh, you got the same? Yep, yeah, I got four too. Right, so nice to get some points. Hey, I thought, you know what, my last one. Did you both get zero on my last one, or I, or Josh? Did you I get Josh got? Some I points. think I got one and a half or two. I can't remember. Oh, hard one. So I thought I'd make it a bit easier for you. Not so easy, but though. easy enough. Mm. Oh, that's a good one, Dan. Thanks. So, Josh, that leaves you on fourteen out of twenty-five. And Chris, that leaves you on 11 and a half out of 25. Nice to be in the so big strides made by both. I'm, I'm on 11 and a half out of 20. Um, and I believe it's you next, Chris. It is, yeah. Prepare yourself for some more multiple choice madness. That that would be great. As long as I can get a few to, <laughs> to kind of keep up with Josh a little bit, then that's, that's all that matters. 
Um, but guys, yeah, well done on the quiz. And Chris, I look forward to yours next time. So that's all we got time for, I'm afraid. Uh, Josh and Chris, thanks for joining me. Did you enjoy yourselves? Yeah, it's really good one. Yeah, nice to come back from holiday and be back in your lovely company. Yeah, well, those uh, winter evenings seem a, a little bit nicer. A little bit brighter. Um, well, I've had a lovely time and I'm glad you enjoyed the quiz. I'm glad you got some right. Um, so maybe there'll be some more crazy ways of delivering the quiz next time, uh, or at least in my next one. Um, but just before we go, we've just got time for, for this week's poll. And being aware that we've talked about the craziest things to happen on any sports pitch, um, this, the poll is slightly different to that one. But I just couldn't ignore the Granite Xhaka absolute turmoil of, of, of vitriol he got from the Arsenal crowd and the fact he then played up to it, cupped his hands over his ears, kind of tried to make them boo even louder, told them to F off. So the poll for this week is the strangest or oddest thing to happen in football or on a football pitch. So specifically football is where that then differs. So um, Josh, have you got an idea? I have indeed. Uh, mine is not quite on the pitch, but just moving into the tunnel. So what is known as the Battle of the Buffet when uh, in the kind of Man United-Arsenal match, really acrimonious, 2-0 it ended to United, um, ending Arsenal's Invincibles run. And uh, subsequently, kind of trouble erupted in the tunnel and famously Alex Ferguson was hit by a slice of pizza and that was now known to be thrown by Cesc Fabregas in the kind of Ooh. early stages of his career, which... Uh, yeah. Brave. Love it. That's a great suggestion. Um, Chris, I come uh, to you. I, yeah, mine's also a battle. Um, the Battle of Nuremberg, which isn't some World War Two. Uh, <laughs> so it sounds like. But you know, it's siege. Like. It sounds like it. But you guys might remember it at the 2006 World Cup when Portugal played the Netherlands and a record was set for the most uh, red cards and yellow cards in a single match at any FIFA <laughs> administered international tournament um there was four reds and 16 yellow cards and i think it's quite famous for i think it was a site of deco and i want to say van bronckhorst sat on the steps of the tunnel just chatting yeah. about how ridiculous the match was i, see, I do seem to have that picture in my head as well yeah yeah and i think they were both playing for the same foot possibly for barcelona at the time i think I think it was those two players and yeah just sort of laughing about how it had got so bad but i remember watching it back a couple of years ago just thinking if it was as mad as i remember and the ref didn't have a bad game at all i think every chat every <laughs> red or yellow was justified it's just all the players just completely lost their heads and were just slicing snapping each other in half about the match i do think it's <laughs> when when one when one player loses their head and does something on somebody else it is very very easy to then lose your head and then, yes. then that person and kind of spiral in the words of Anchorman, boy, that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, what a great suggestion as well. Now, when I was thinking of mine, I had so many different ideas in my head. The one that sprung to mind um, was, remember when Van Nistelrooy missed a penalty? I think it could oh. have ended Arsenal's invincible run way earlier than it did. Um, yeah. And Martin Keown just came and like absolutely annihilated him. And then <laughs> other players, all, and then you got seven Arsenal players just stood around, literally pushing. Um Van Nistelrooy in a circle as if he was a ball and just passing him between them. Uh, that came to mind. But 
the one I had to go for. It's even better that it was against Aston Villa in a 3-0 victory for Aston Villa um, because two things happened in this game. Now, the one, the one I'm going to focus on, I'm going to come to that in a second, but I don't know if you guys remember. Newcastle nil, Aston Villa 3 at St. James's Park. The first crazy thing that happened in this game was that I think it was Steven Taylor blocked the ball on the line with his hand and then went down in agony, clutching the side of his body as if it had hit him in the side, um, but managed to get a perfect 90-degree angle, his legs, um, which were on the floor, and his body, which was parallel to the ground, um, it was insane. He just tried to act as if it hit him in the body to avoid getting a red card. <laughs> as soon as the ref brandished a red card, he just got up and trotted off the pitch as if nothing had ever happened. Well that was hilarious. As well as winning a red, he also won an Oscar that year. Won an Oscar, absolutely. Stephen Taylor for his role in Newcastle Nil, Aston Villa 3. Um, but that's not the craziest moment of that game because the craziest moment of that game that involved three goals and three red cards was when Kieran Dyer and Lee Bowyer just started laying into each other. And I've never seen anything like it, to the point where I think both of their shirts were ripped. Lee Bowyer looked like he was the angriest person alive after that. Um, and I think it was all because Kieran Dyer hadn't passed the ball to him. Um, or maybe the other way around, I can't remember. Um, but it took Gareth Barry and Alan Shearer to kind of grab them off of each other um, before the ref just brandished them both with a red card and they had to have a press conference afterwards to to kind of apologise to the fans with the manager sat in between them just looking like two naughty schoolboys. Um, so that for me was the by far the craziest thing that I've ever seen on a football pitch um, and it was probably the greatest day as an Aston Villa fan just to notice that there was a team more shambolic than Aston Villa are um, at that time and absolute insanity. I don't. I can't remember, but I feel like Graham Souness was the manager at that point. Ooh, I don't know though. Uh, I'll have to have a look back at the press conference because I'm. I'm sure it was Graham Souness. Yeah. But if if it was, then those two would have been absolutely annihilated in the dressing room. <laughs> a lot more so than if it was genial old uh, Bobby Robson or or just, Glenn Roder. Just chuckled and sort of let him uh, ruffle their hair. Oh, what a guy. But yeah, or yeah, Bobby Robson, Glenn Roder. They may have just kind of let it slide, but yeah. Graham Souness wouldn't have done. So there are your three choices. Uh, Chris's mammoth um, record-breaking game for all the wrong reasons of reds and yellow cards in Nuremberg. Um, Josh's suggestion of <laughs> Cesc Fabregas throwing a slice of pizza at Sir Alex Ferguson, which is just, what a what a great memory, uh, what a great um, picture that creates in the mind. And my suggestion of um, the fight, the melee between. Uh, Lee Bowyer and Kieran Dyer after um, during the game in which Aston Villa beat Newcastle three nil. Those are suggestions. Um, they'll also be, as always, an, a, a place to put your own suggestions. So if you think that there's another suggestion that we've missed out on of the oddest or strangest things to ever have happened on a football pitch or around a football pitch, then let us know your thoughts, and we'd love to share them in next week's podcast prediction, guys. Which one do you think's likely to win? Um. I want to say mine. <laughs> I think, yeah, be, be proud of your own suggestion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Josh, what do you reckon? I think yours as well, actually, Chris. I think yours is, yeah, sustained shock throughout the game. <laughs> I mean, what an insane game as well. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be proud of my own suggestion as well, Chris, and go for mine. I think mine yeah, might, yeah. might just tip it this week. Funny enough, none of us have gone for Josh's, and I bet Josh wins out 90% yeah, of the he always does. For, for three what, what is this all about? It's just ridiculous. But I look forward to seeing it. But yeah, thanks again for joining me, guys. Same time next week. Yeah, see you there.
See you then. Excellent. Can't wait. And this has been Sports Weekly. Thank you for listening. We'll be right back.